0: Philippians and part of what happens in these notes is count the commands, all the imperatives that are found in there, identify them, bring them out. There's twenty-one of them in the book of Colossians in Philippians. There's actually twenty-six in Colossians, twenty-one in the book of Philippians, and three or four of them are just rejoice. <laughs> that just and then he said rejoice. And then he said, and again, I'll say rejoice. So it sounded like Paul was trying to tell us that we need to rejoice, which is a good lead-in because we're talking about emotions, and that is, um, uh, oh, that's always a touchy subject. It ranks right up there with child raising and, and money and some of the other things to stir people up. And they're not designed to stir people up, but they are designed to equip us to do things correctly. And uh, also, by the way, I really appreciate all the nice cards and letters and the gift and everything that came in last week uh, on Pastor Appreciation Week. It was really uh, appreciated, and uh, so thank you guys very much. I appreciate you, and I I guess hopefully the... uh, I don't know if there's a Congregational Appreciation Week or not, Uh, and I always wonder who started that, Pastor's Appreciation Week. month or Sunday or whatever it turned out to be but I, I do appreciate it and thank you, thank you very much. Uh, we're going to ask what triggers our emotions. That's the fourth point that we are on and we went through a few things last week uh, to kind of start this point and it's going to require a little bit of thought and has uh, uh, anybody had any bad emotions this last week? Are all the cowboy fans at home? Um, and we, we have a mixture Every week, every day Is a mixture of up and down With our emotions Good emotions, bad emotions Sometimes we fight any emotion whatsoever Sometimes we're afraid of our emotions And whenever we start looking at the Bible isn't the, the Bible is full of emotion There are some words when it talks about emotions That the, the root meaning of the word is bowels Because the emotions go right into the innermost recesses of who we are. And we do know that bad emotions can actually cause physical problems. Stress over a period of time is an emotion, and it can lead to all kinds of problems. So biblically, how do we process and handle emotions? Are we supposed to shut them out and not feel them at all? That's the view of some. Or are we supposed to make everything about how we feel and our emotions and what we're going to be doing in this section is trying to look at biblically and i think a lot of this will be real clear we'll look at biblically <clears throat> what what does does god want from us with the, with our emotions obviously <clears throat> before studying any topic of scripture we need to be sure that we're connected to the lord and hopefully in fellowship and wanting to learn from him uh, it's a legitimate prayer and it won't hurt my feelings. Lord, if Drew messes this up, don't let me hear it. Okay? I, you know, because that's actually what I want for you. If, if you, you're listening to the wrong thing or I'm saying the wrong thing, you need the Holy Spirit as your main protector. I'm called to be a shepherd, but I cannot take the place of the Holy Spirit and won't even try. So <clears throat> pray that uh, the Lord will be your guide, your protector, that the wisdom you get will come from above and not which is on the earth here. And that's, I think, the right way that we're supposed to look at things because what does God? how does God want us to deal with and process our emotions? So let's just take this minute for prayer and um, come in front of the throne of grace and ask that the Holy Spirit will be our real teacher. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you have done, and Father, your omniscience and your wisdom is the one that put us all, is what put us all together. We're all different, and it's actually proven by science. We are so similar and yet so different. Our fingerprints are different. Our eyes are different. Everything is a little bit different, and Father, that is a The divine design that you have put together. And Father, part of what you have given us is emotions. And Father, I pray that as we go through this, we will have a more balanced view of how to view the emotions that get triggered within us and how to use them properly in your service. So Father, we come to you and ask that you'll do just that in each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen now what triggers emotions that's the fourth point that we're looking at and we have some simplistic theories we looked at last week that offer some really uh, quick solution quick relief to things that have that have been found they're kind of stopgap measures but they they don't really teach us how to process things see bad behaviors called bad emotions so straighten up that's this these are things we often get from our parents right we learned these growing up. Okay, you got some bad thinking in there, bad behavior, bad emotions, you're feeling bad and all that. Just straighten up. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Has anybody ever tried that? Is that kind of like jousting at windmills with <laughs> Don Quixote? It's, not, it's a physical impossibility. Bad goals cause bad emotions. So just redirect your life. We find also that bad thinking causes bad emotions, so just think right. Now, that's, these are all true to a degree. And bad faith causes bad emotions. So get spiritual. Okay, Redirect your life. And that's straighten up, redirect your life, think correctly, and get spiritual. And that, those are not bad altogether. But they're kind of some simple uh, viewpoints of how to process them. The strength of the urge to keep things simple partly reflects our abhorrence of confusion. Okay, It partly reflects our abhorrence of confusion. We really don't like things in a disorderly way. Now sometimes we might live that way. We might live in a disorderly room, disorderly house, have a disorderly garage, our car may be a disaster area, it can be any kinds of, of uh, simple things, but things that we don't really understand damage our pride whenever we're asked a question we can't answer it then, we, then our pride gets hit right away uh, it puts us in touch with our vulnerability like you think you know everything see there's a lot of pastors I've talked to over the years I've been out of seminary since 1980 for 42, 42 years and when you come right out of seminary you know everything at least you think you do and I've heard a couple of pastors, we laugh about it at times. Somebody said they asked me that question, and I said, if you'd asked me right out of seminary, I'd have given you a good answer. <laughs> but right now, there's too many dynamics floating around to give you the precise answer that you might that you might want. But we don't like confusion. Now, we're not called to make stuff up on the fly when we're asked a question. Now, in confusion, Emotions can be confusing. So sometimes we try to solve our emotional problems to the point that we leave out the passionate pursuit of the Almighty and dependence on Him. Now, whenever we set these goals, remember that little goal chart. Hopefully that's become a part of who you are. The only two real goals we need that have to be our primary is to love God with every part of our being and to love our neighbors ourselves. And we need to establish our motivations, our strategy, our behavior after that with those two things in mind. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't have uh, good goals in other areas. They just cannot get in front of those two things. Because when they do, we've got a problem. We've got a problem with a person, place, thing, or event that is in between us and God, and that's idolatry. And we, we don't want that to happen. Now, there are two basic categories of emotions. Basically, these are pretty simplistic things. There's pleasant and unpleasant emotions. We all know those. Those are real easy. But there's also constructive and destructive emotions. Some things that we feel can be constructive, and other things can be quite destructive in our life, and oftentimes can come about from the same event. In fact, part of what we're going to look at is what happens when something happens, like in a family me- with a family member. And part of the things we're going to take a look at is there's a when 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 a family member is caught in a trespass. Remember, we started with Galatians 6:1. If any brother is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Okay, so we're we're, we're looking at that. Whenever that happens. There is a constructive and destructive way to deal with the emotions that that you feel about it. So learning to identify what those are and then start making the right decisions is extremely important. And God uses those uh, to work all things together for good to those that love Him. So there are two categories, basic categories of emotions. The pleasant-unpleasant emotions point to the fact that God made us to be reactive beings we react to things we are responders that's that's who we are and this is kind of a overview from 30,000 feet and then we're going to kind of drill it on down in certain areas of our life we react to our environment in ways that are entirely determined by what happens they're just normal Reactions, normal emotions that come about with various events that happen in the environment. Now, healthy people have certain predictable reactions. In other words, if someone does something nice to you, you're going to do something nice to them. That should be a predictable thing. But... Growing up in Christ, when somebody doesn't do something nice to you, how are you going to respond? See, this is where we get into our, our um, reactive, constructive, destructive. These are questions that, that we need to ask. Well, we are reactive human beings. God made us that way. And we, we start thinking about that, and we, and we start thinking about God, and, and I believe God has emotions and uses them perfectly unlike us we we are we spend our life trying to figure out i think how to properly respond to different situations and about the time you think you got it all figured out you're going to get hit out of left field with something you never thought about as even a possibility entering into your life that just happens it happens to all of us and uh, i'm not the oldest one in here but i'm 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 not the youngest either, we'll put it it that way, and sometimes I think I've seen it all and then I get asked or hit with something totally out of of left field. And so how do we respond, how do we react, how does this become constructive or can it become destructive and how do we we want it to play out? Now constructive and destructive emotions, most of us are far more concerned with whether we like the way we feel rather than the value of our feelings. See, we are in a society that it's all about how you feel. Have you noticed the way that the announcers interview people? How does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? Have we thought that maybe when they talk about getting things back to normal after a disaster is more about feelings than anything else? Because we feel bad because we've lost something or lost a loved one or lost something and they're talking about hey let's get things back to normal. Let's get back to, to our feelings here and how we want our feelings to be. Now think about this goals chart. If you set your mind on, on um, uh, conquering a certain feeling or emotion it's the wrong goal to begin with. If you're a fearful person, we know basically you have to confront the fear in order to ever deal with it and overcome it. But if you set your goal on conquering fear, guess what? It's going to be a long, hard road. Because what you're trying to do is something that is spiritually done. When we try to do it from the work of the flesh, it's going to magnify it. We can get depressed we can get upset, we get angry and if we're going to try and conquer fear then, and we don't what happens? Mad comes along <laughs> is what happens and if we have something that makes us fearful we just get madder and more fearful because this flesh can't conquer spiritual problems it's not designed to do that now where it's a spiritual issue the Lord invites us like in Second Peter join in Join in. I want you to supply moral excellence, virtue. I want you to do it with the attitude of whatever strength and power you have, give it to me, is what the Lord's saying. But how is it going to be accomplished? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Then who gets the who gets the credit? Not us, but him. That's the way it's supposed to be. Now, <clears throat> this um, most of us are more concerned about how we feel than the value of these feelings that we have. And oftentimes, we want, we want a feeling of no pain, quite honestly. We don't want any physical pain. We don't want any emotional pain. We don't want any uh, psychological pain. We just don't want pain. We don't like pain. Now, how do those things get solved frequently? In our society, they are talking about, hey, let's just legalize marijuana. Okay. Let's just make that a and and other people say let's just make all drugs legal. Will that make people happy? Will that solve their problems? To be able to get high on a whim, to go into 7-Eleven and pick up a joint or two, will that will that really solve? The answer is (laughs) no. The problems are still there when they come off the high because they've never dealt with it and processed it properly. To begin with. So the motion the emotions we feel, the lust that we feel, the addictions maybe that we have, they're never going to solve a hurting in the soul. They lack the ability to do that. Only God can, can do such things. Now what makes an emotion constructive or destructive? What is it? The answer is whether or not it is interfering with the two great commandments being fulfilled in our life. That's the main answer. It's a simple answer. I know it's simplistic, but we're going to drill down on it. Whether or not the two greatest commandments are being fulfilled in our life. Are we loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and are we loving our neighbors, ourselves, or at least trying to? If we're not trying to, we're never going to be happy. We're just not. Some people think the greatest thing they can do is move off to the Rocky Mountains, and hide. Find them a cave out there, pitch a tent, and I can guarantee you what will happen in the first week or so. You're going to wish you brought more bear spray. You're going to be faced with fears like you cannot imagine. It's going to happen. And then you hear a statistic like 1,600 people have been lost in our national parks, never to be heard from again. Oh, gosh, maybe hiking that Appalachian Trail is not the best idea in the world. Of course, that's kind of like a train going back and forth and people going all the time. But maybe some of those things that I thought would really solve my problems didn't solve them at all. I'm out. (laughs) What's that old song, looking for love in all the wrong places? We're looking for God in all the wrong places trying to find him. These two greatest commandments, are they being fulfilled in my life? Now that's the, that's the question we need to consistently ask. Feelings should be evaluated to determine what category they fit, they fit into. Where do they fit? Are they constructive and destructive? Are they pleasant, unpleasant? But the key thing is, are they going to edify me and others in the long run? Are they going to harm those relationships? Are they going to mess me up with others? If so, they need to be changed. Whether an emotion is constructive or destructive uh, depends not on what happens to us, but how we internally respond to whatever happens. See, there's some things that happen, and they happen to us, and then in a society in which we live, I think I don't have to preach anymore about the um, uh, narcissistic society in which we live. Narcissism makes everything about me. Everything about, uh, about old number one. We're looking out for old number one. How does it make me feel? How does it make me think? How's it make me act? And we're processing everything through number one. Well, that's not the way to process as we know. Things can come into our life, and the question is, how do we respond internally to what happens? How do we respond in our soul to what happens on the outside? Now, there are going to be things that bring serious disappointment. And if they don't bring disappointment, you're probably not normal. There are going to be things that bring intense sadness to us. And if they don't, we're probably not normal. But are we going to take that sadness and let it bury us? Destructive. Or are we going to take the sadness and be constructive with it? Parents have lost children in bad ways. And some of them, it's buried them, honestly. But others have said... No, they were kidnapped by so-and-so and and I want to lead a thing about awareness. They're going to turn this into a constructive emotion. Some of those who have lost children or loved ones to predators like that and being able to forgive them, that's a tough thing to do. Being able to forgive them. And what does that mean? That you never think about it again? No, (laughs) not at all. It's a internal response. How are we going to respond to these various events? And if we start responding by trusting God, no matter what happens, but see, that's training. Hebrews 5.12 talks about we need this training in our souls. We have to train ourselves to respond to circumstances in various ways. And I think about... Uh, and abraham believed god and it was imputed to him righteousness genesis 15:6 genesis 12 he was told to get out of ur get away from his relatives and go on that's what he was told to do and abram just packed up his tents and went i mean <laughs> you know i don't know if he liked his relatives or not his daddy we found out was an idolater so he may have been ready to leave, so when God told him to do that, he said, Hey yeah, I've been waiting for this. I can tell Dad that God told me to leave and you can't argue with me. But his dad left with him anyway for a while. But here is Abraham and he's got this thing, and then he he's trying to have this child, and he's got the and here's Sarah, and Sarah is barren, and so they decide they're gonna help God out. By sending Abraham into an Egyptian handmaid named Hagar. Now how did that work out for you, Abraham? Well there were some constructive and destructive emotions that went on with him. The result was a child named Ishmael. And Ishmael's been a and his descendants have been a problem ever since. In fact, Abraham prayed that, that you would bless Ishmael, and you know what he did with 12 Arabic tribes that wage war against Israel to this very day. So sometimes you get a prayer answered and it's not maybe really what you want want it to be. But what about take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him to me? What type of emotion would Abraham have automatically had? It had to be tough. This was the son of the promise, the son he loved. In him and through Isaac, in him all the, the nations of the earth shall be blessed. I mean, he knew the promise. And so what did Abraham do? He had to take that emotion, which had to be a shock. But he had to take that emotion and he could make it constructive or destructive. It could have been destructive if he would chose against God. He says, no way. This is my gift. You gave me this gift and I'm not giving him back. And so the gift becomes more important than the giver. But that's not what he did, is it? James 2 tells us about it. Hebrews 11 tells us about it. As soon as God told him to sacrifice him, Isaac became dead in Abraham's eyes. But three days later he got him back. (laughs) Is that a picture or what? That emotion that he initially felt was overridden by the promises of God. Because he figured out if he killed Isaac, God would raise him up to keep his promises. Now that's powerful. See, that's where we need to be. People say, well that was Abraham. Well if you study the life of Abraham, he was a mess. But he also got some things right, finally. And because of that sacrifice of Isaac, he was called the friend of God. Now that meant that he was given a test that was very hard, and he passed it. And part of passing that test deals with emotions. So how do we internally respond when we first hear these things? Events in our lives trigger whether we feel pleasant or unpleasant emotions. That's just what happens. Now, how personal can this get? A spouse. A spouse says something you don't like. Or a good friend says something that you don't like. They do something that you don't like. How do we respond? Now, it could build some unpleasant emotions in us. I mean, just automatically, they can't put that toilet paper on the roll properly to save themselves. And so the first response is, "Can't you fix that and do it right?" That unpleasant emotions. Now you could feel that, see? Oh, wish that he would or she would get it right. You can feel that, but how do you respond to it? <laughs> How's it come out? sometimes I've seen a couple of signs Lord give me the control to keep my mouth shut today and sometimes that's exactly what we need to do our our spouse and events trigger pleasant or unpleasant emotions spouse, our family, our friends the news media we turn on the television the really poor play calling of the cowboys whenever they had to lead there's a lot of things that can, that can trigger emotions, that, um, and how do we respond to them internally first? We must then determine whether our feelings are constructive or destructive. How are we feeling toward this thing? Is it, is it, can they be used? See, they can be unpleasant emotions, but used properly. Okay? How do we use these things? Now, <clears throat> what about an anger Ephesians 4 passage drove me nuts for a long time Be angry That's a command One of the imperatives found in there Ephesians 4, I think it's about verse 26 Be angry and do not sin Huh I thought all anger was a sin Anger is an emotion, is it not? Be angry and do not sin but then it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. It adds that. Another command, and you're going, wait a minute. Now what happens when two spouses, or spices, I guess, get together, and they <clears throat> they got the anger going back and forth with each other? Does it need to be resolved before you go to bed? That's a really good practice, isn't it? Is that a biblical practice? yes. We don't want the anger to keep going on. When you get mad at, at your government, don't go with, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord the government you take away. We, 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 can't, we, we don't need to wake up just as mad as we were the night before. That's a test. Don't let, but see, it's righteous. When people are involved in sin and evil, When people want to legalize things that are clearly in violation of God's moral law, there is a righteous anger that should come from us. But it should be a constructive anger, not a destructive one. And a destructive anger is the one that that, uh, has the right to keep and bear arms and picks them up wrongfully against those who are in power. There is, however an opportunity and especially in this nation to vote properly whenever it comes around. That's what we do. That's what we are called to do. Are feelings constructive or destructive? What do we want how do we want to use them? Now the lasting anger is something we gotta get rid of. No matter where it comes from or how righteous it is, don't let the sun go down on your anger. The presence of destructive emotions indicates there's an internal problem. Okay, this is where we really overdo it at times, when we won't get rid of the fear. Now see, the fear—I <clears throat> was—I was born and raised in uh, downtown Oklahoma City, uh, right by the state capitol building, and uh, it was a nice little place when I was growing up and all that. When, when I was growing up, we lived four blocks north of the Capitol building, and there were open fields out for two and three and four square blocks all over the place. And I'd get out and roam around there and usually find horny toads is about all you could find out there. But rabbits were too smart to, to make themselves uh, available out there. and and. Um, uh, it was wide open. I was like I was living in the, in the, on the farm, even though we were right dead square in the middle of, of the city. And, the, uh, and we would get out at night and walk, go around the area, walk around the block. I'd load up my lawnmower, tie at the back of my bicycle and drag it down and mow yards for people and all that. And now I think about letting my kids do that in that same area of town, a neighborhood of town, and I'm thinking, my grandkids? No way. Would I do it? No. Don't think it would be a good idea to do that. Now and I heard that Oklahoma City is the seventh most dangerous city in the United States, which I'm wondering what, how much money are they trying to get through what to <laughs> solve that problem? I don't think it's true and correct, but it's still not a good place to be at times, at night, in various locations. But do I need to let my fear? Whenever we see people that are shooting up grocery stores, McDonald's, taking a hatchet to the places in McDonald's, when we see stuff like that, should we let our fear keep, keep us paralyzed? That's a destructive emotion is what it is doesn't mean we're in foolish bravado it doesn't doesn't mean that we do stupid things unwise things but it doesn't mean that we're going to let the enemy paralyze us with fear See? when it does there's an internal problem fear anger and guilt the three main emotions that we have to deal with guilt being one of them and a lot of times we deal with guilt and we can't forgive ourselves and that's why we're carrying the guilt about uh, around. Let us consider an unpleasant event. Family member caught in a trespass. And your first feeling is bad. You feel bad. You feel bad for them. You feel bad for you. All kinds of ways to feel bad. Now that unpleasant emotion will become either constructive or destructive depending on the wisdom with which you respond to the event. So when something bad happens, especially to a family member, we got to back off and say, how can this be constructive? How can it be destructive? Okay? It's a s- simple test. Because the Lord can bring good out of anything. He brought good out of everyone that ever believed in His Son, whether they believed it or not. That's what He did. He can bring good out of any circumstance, anywhere, any situation. So this, this initial feeling, this initial trauma, if you will, uh, <clears throat> will depend on the wisdom with which you respond to the event. Right now they talk a lot about PTSD. We know a lot of the returning servicemen have experienced that to one degree or another. They tried to just uh, not even talk about it in World War I. World War II, they called it shell shock. And they, uh, uh, it, was, it was something. They had witnessed a traumatic event and then they're trying to process still their emotions over a period of time. Now psychologists offer a lot of band-aids, I believe. The only solution is Jesus Christ. Because those emotions can be constructively used... To help and benefit others because there's trauma everywhere you go, and you know, one thing that the world likes to do is make everybody a victim. This goes all the way back to the angelic conflict. I bet Satan thinks he's a victim. I bet he does. Here he is, and here he's a poor, poor guy. Ezekiel 28 10 and following, king of Tyre. And where did God make him? Well, it says. You were perfect from the day you were created. Ra out of nothing. Created out of nothing. Perfect in beauty. He was handsome. Full of wisdom. He had knowledge. Right? He was, he was absolutely perfect, but he lacked one thing. He was, wasn't God. And so he said, I will be like the Most High. He was the first evolutionist, truly. He was going to evolve to Godhood because when he made that statement in Isaiah 14, he knew he wasn't. I will be like the Most High. What did he offer the man and the woman? You will be like the Most High, knowing good and evil. So, wisdom. He wants everybody to be a victim. What does God want everybody to be? An overcomer a victor you find it all over the Bible read 1 John 5, Revelation 2 and 3 he wants us to overcome so <clears throat> falling prey to our emotions we just don't need to stay there whenever we face some bad event we need to move on and how do, how do you go about doing that it's all about focus Because this traumatic event has come into your life, and it's right here. And when it comes right here, you need to look up. But that's not what we do, is it? We start analyzing everything right here. Which is good and important to do in its right time. But it's an internal hit, and we need to look up. First, look for guidance. if first of all you believe your deepest longings are in no way challenged by that event that's the first response in other words, do you know who you are? do you really know who you are in Christ? why do people head to the Rocky Mountains trying to find themselves it's not going to be found in the Rocky Mountains John Denver tried that He figured out. Rocky Mountain High in Colorado. He was born in the summer of his 27th year. All the different parts of the songs that he has put out. But who are you in Christ? See, we often evaluate, who am I in this world? That's a wrong starting point. When a traumatic event comes into your life, who are you? Are you and image bearer loved by the Almighty that spoke and brought the heavens into existence. See, in that is a calmness. In that is a calmness. You are created in the image of God. James 3, Genesis 1, other passages. You are created in the image of God. So you are a valuable bearer of the image of God. Now see, how much of this comes out in trauma counseling after the Oklahoma City bombing that was there uh, Seth was one of the first on the scene Bob Thompson was just right across the street from where it went on and um, uh, uh, I think it was Bob called and said we've got some first responders here falling apart can you get down here so went down there and really it was just a lot of common sense to deal with them, at first she had to get them past the trauma. And there were people got saved. Yeah, I know of some FBI agents that did. In the in the crater, the bomb left. Yeah. So destructive emotions, everywhere. Trauma everywhere. How do you process it? How do you process it? Now, it seemed like an attack on us. It seemed like an attack on Oklahoma City, for sure, and that it was. It was a. It was an attack. But how how do you process such things? Well, first of all, who are you in Christ? Has He forgotten you? Has He forgotten your family? Has He forgotten everybody else? Who are you in Christ? Because if you know if you know that whenever trauma comes your way, you say, God still loves me. He cares for me. He wants the best for me. And what is is right in front of me now is an opportunity. So you can feel the hurt. You can feel the pain. You can feel all those other things. Don't try and fight them. In fact, as we're going to see, you need to embrace them. Because if you put them off, the death of a loved one, for example, and you put off grieving for that, it's st- you're still going to grieve somewhere, but you don't need to carry the grief around. You need to go ahead and grieve, and then let it be a constructive emotion, because God's going to give you other people that you can talk to, and you can help through this process. That's, that's the way it works. That's the way it is designed. But if you see yourself as valuable in the eyes of God, you're, you're called his kid now, you're adopted into his family, you're a royal priest, you have the biggest problem in your life solved, you have eternal life, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and on and on and on. And you see those things and you go, okay, God's got a reason for me. And if you see yourself loving and valuable, it's a painful event. And it may be a profound disappointment, but it's not a personal threat. Because oftentimes things happen to us and we, we fight or flee and we respond as though it was a personal threat. Okay. Is it? Well, <clears throat> in your disappointment you'll fervently desire, but not demand, that things change for the better. Now, if you have authority to make some decisions and to put some things in place, use the authority wisely and properly. That's what we're called to do. We're called to whatever God has given us in that sphere, use that sphere uh, wisely. But desire, want it, lead, be a shepherd. You have an opportunity and these painful emotions can be turned into constructive applications. And build the body of Christ. Numerically, quantitatively, qualitatively, both. Now, <clears throat> if the desire for change in another is met with a true change of mind and action, then the feeling of disappointment will be changed into a feeling of gratitude. Because what happens? Yeah, a loved one is messed up. A good friend is messed up. And the confrontation is of such a nature that you're genuinely concerned for them. And you're not threatened. You're not, not provoked because of something that they did, but you're you you're there for them. And what happens if they change? What happens if you have to do an intervention, which is a last resort, not a first resort, and you have to do it and then changes are made? changes remain. There's a feeling not of your superiority in all of who you are but there's a feeling of gratitude because you know it was by the grace of God that the change happened. Now, if the desires block because there's more and even possibly greater trespasses there will not only be disappointment and deep pain but also righteous anger. Now, Remember here, and again we're dealing with real and actual sin. Not just personal preferences or legalisms. If we're dealing with legalisms we need to we need to watch out for that. I know sometimes there can be real battle royals over music. Devil's toy. I always thought it was a deck of cards. Deck of cards the devil's play toy. While I watched, watched them play Canasta and <laughs> Pinochle and stuff like that. Yeah. <clears throat> he must not like this because emotions are how he works. Press what? Uh. Huh. Source. Huh. That's scary. Prime video. Alright. Wait. Quit. Quit. <laughs> the greatest beer run ever. Yeah. We're going to source. Should be right there. There it is. <sighs> That's what we need. Is that saying that we need to move the church and take a poker run down to <laughs> one of the casinos? <laughs> Probably not. Now see, I could be righteously angry toward this thing. (laughs) And probably am. But (laughs) is the emotion going to be constructive or destructive here? All right. Now, if the desired end is uncertain, uh, because there's mixed evidence as to whether or not real repentance has occurred. Somebody wants to change, and they say, "Yeah, I'll go. I'll go get well. I'll go talk to the right people. I'll work on this. I'll do this and do this." Then the, pain, the, the feeling is still painful, but there's a productive concern. They say, "I'm going to give it a shot. Give it a try." Now, how, time, how many times are we supposed to forgive? We've all know Peter's passage there 70, Seven times. Oh, 70 times, seven Peter. Don't keep a notebook. We are supposed to be forgiving people. That's who Christians are supposed to be. Now, if the point of desire seems or becomes hopelessly out of reach, the disappointment deepens into almost unbearable but still potentially productive sadness. A sadness. And so, if we're trying to help somebody and they just won't be helped, then yeah, we can be sad. But don't let the sadness be destructive. Because when it becomes destructive, it can hurt other members of the family. It can hurt other members of the church. It can hurt other other people. Whenever it becomes very sad that something happened, somebody, because God gave all of us the ability to decide. Just not the ability to decide perfectly every time. And so, if they just say, uh, no, and then they show some signs, we're happy. We're like the the prodigal son and the father, and the father ran to meet him. And we're happy that there's a change. Is there a change or not? Really a change? History is going to tell whether or not there was really a change. But this sadness can still be productive. Now begin with the same unpleasant event and trace what happens when the internal response to that event is foolish. See, our response is either wisdom that is from above or wisdom that is from the world, and that's foolish. Now perhaps an individual believes that their hope for joy is in their family. That's the first response to consider. And that others must produce that joy for them. Now, that, that lady, the psychologists are good at identifying problems. They're just not good at fixing them. Because they're spiritual problems. But <clears throat> this they often call codependency. People become codependent. They, they put all their value and all their worth. Parents are bad about this. Put all their value and all their worth in their children. And how their children come out. And their children they love dearly. They want nothing but the best for them. Most normal parents, that's what they want. Nothing for the best for them. They are put there by God to, to guide them. They are put there to lead them. They are put there with a lot of good things. And then, what happens if a child gets rebellious? And I can tell you for a fact, most do at some point to one degree or another. But do I get all of my joy from how my kids do? My kids have brought me great joy at times over the years because they're all grown and everything now. But there were some tests that they did not bring joy. And they'll be the first to tell you that. They did not bring joy. But do I get my self-worth and value from them? If I do, I can head down a whirlpool that I I can't get out of. Because some people find their value in their kids. Then when their kids mess up once, they don't know what to do. My value is found in that I am an image-bearer of the Lord and He has given me Uh, The greatest gift possible. And also, when I think about it, also to my kids as well. They are believers. To my grandkids, they are believers. Has everybody followed the right path all the time? No. Did I follow the right path all the time? I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to be on a pedestal and perfect. And that's just not the case. And they know that better than anybody else. So, are they, do they produce joy for me? Yeah, they do from time to time. Do they produce sadness from time to time? Without question. Then am I going to take these good emotions and bad emotions and let them be constructive, or are they going to become destructive? And if they become destructive in my life, and if, with the position I have, they can hurt a lot of other people as well. So we're all the same way. They said that uh, I think the average funeral service is like 200 people to come to a funeral service unless you get as old as some of us and then all the rest of them are already gone. Uh, and they're not, not quite as big a, a service. But they say about 200 people, you can influence a couple of hundred people in your sphere of authority over the, over the, the course of your life, if not more. So what happens if we go down the tube? Has anybody else faced any difficulties? How about Billy Graham? Did Billy Graham face any difficulties with Franklin? Franklin will be the first to tell you. But yeah, Franklin got into some bad stuff. But he was still valued as a son which is relationship which is how God values us as a believer, as a child of his but what about the fellowship there's a big difference between relationship and fellowship and god says you can have this relationship we've got the relationship it is forevermore it's never going to change you're adopted into my family and that's the way it is but what about fellowship there's some things if we are if we are in the middle of being tore down by destructive emotions. We're not going to have fellowship with him. Didn't Paul say I can I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. That's what we find out. It? If we're not tested in that way. How will we know. If we can. <clears throat> Other people don't produce joy. All those songs we sing. Rejoice always. Again, I'll say rejoice. <clears throat> those songs. <clears throat> in my heart there rings a melody. How many of you knew that before today? A couple of us. I sang that song growing up. In the church I was in growing up. And it was just one of our mainstay songs. And I think we've sang it once since I've been here <laughs> in Oklahoma City. So it was a... It was, a joy to sing that old song. Took me back uh, a long way. Sixty years. Anyway. That uh, probably the last time I sang that song. But to be able to sing those songs uh, honestly is, is quite a blessing. Now, <clears throat> whenever we look at this, I cannot put my joy and my rejoicing in people, places, things, and events and look for that which lasts we know things wear out so we might get a new thing and we're really happy about that new thing you might get an iPhone 14 i think that's the latest that there and you might be happy in that till you turn it on and figure out i don't know how to how to work this thing places oh how about is this house going to bring me joy forevermore That's frequently people find joy in the house. Well, see, you carry the joy with you. (laughs) You don't find it in people or places or things because they wear out or events. When do they end? Other things, uh, those things don't have to produce the joy for me. With this sort of thinking, the unpleasant event will be perceived as a threat to survival. What happens if I put my joy in people, places, things, or events, and they disappoint me? It could become a threat to my survival, really. Am I going to make it through here? And it becomes all about me. We're in a society that makes it all about me. So my kid messed up, so it's all about me. Well, maybe I didn't train them properly. I've never met a perfect parent. Never met one except the Lord God Almighty. All the rest of us are sinners along the way. We are goof-ups. That's who we are. And an honest parent is doing the best they can possibly do under the circumstances. Trying to make the right decisions, hopefully make constructive decisions for their family. That's, that's what an honest parent is trying to do. But are they going to do that all the time? No. It's not going to happen. <clears throat> With this sort of thinking, but it is, is it a threat to my survival? If somebody I love and care for and I want to do the right thing doesn't do it. Could be. If I'm viewing this emotion, I'm disappointed. But is it, I'm, am I going to let it be destructive? Or am I going to let it be constructive? How's it constructive? When I spend more time in prayer than in complaining about it. I' just gone through Philippians sorry, you get hit with all these when I go back through these books. and I ran in this crazy verse again, this insane verse in Philippians 2:14, that says, "Do all things without grumbling." <laughs> Don't you just hate that verse? I mean, there's some verses that we think we've made it, and then we hit Matthew 5:48, Be you perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then we keep reading on through there, and it goes, Do all things without grumbling. Now, what's the context of that? Jesus going to the cross. <laughs> verses 5 to 10. And that's exactly what he did. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a bondservant. He left heaven for us. And he endured suffering even on a cross, it says. Yet without sin. And then it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling. How, how many days... Maybe we ought to start trying to do that. How many days of the year do we go through that full day without grumbling? Um, don't set it as a goal. <laughs> and if you, I'm not gonna grumble today day at all, because <laughs> I guarantee you. <laughs> If you want to start making hash marks, you just better get ready for it. (laughs) Because the Lord's going to show us how deep that runs. That's what He's going to do. Because the biggest problem is I am going to make this happen. If you say, Lord, I really would not, I would really, I don't want to grumble today. Please, let the Holy Spirit... (laughs) Keep me from saying stupid things. Because grumbling means to to utter a slow. It's konguzmos is the word, and it's kind of like it sounds. It's a, you, you guys, y'all know what grumbling sounds like in yourself and other people. We all know what it sounds like. Lord, I don't want to grumble today. Please. Now. <clears throat> sometimes we set these as a threat to survival and we start seeing somebody we're trying to help as a threat to our survival because we do not realize we are an image bearer of the Lord God Almighty and in His sovereignty I can have comfort in His love I can have uh, love for others in the eternal life I have I can have courage in this in this great privilege of partaking in the divine nature we've got everything we need for life and godliness is what he has said so who or what is a threat to my survival has anybody heard anything about nuclear war lately i i remember i'm sure a lot of you remember too the the uh, practice drills that we had whenever they would we do a practice air raid warning in fact I got back late Tuesday night from Dallas and from the conference and I don't know if it was Wednesday morning or Thursday morning at 6 a.m. there was an air raid siren and went off and Helen and I woke Helen and I both up I said are you hearing that it was an air raid siren well it's too early for a drill and too early for a test. And we're going, How's it get loud enough? Because it's different distinct tones from a tornado warning or anything like that. And we woke up. And she said, what should we do about it? And I said, let's go back to sleep. So we got back into bed. <laughs> got out of bed a couple of hours later. Never did find out who that was that set off that that air raid warning. It was a ridiculous time of day to test it if that's what they were doing. But... Um, Uh, we remember looking back and I thought boy if I'd have heard that 50 years ago I'd have been headed for the headed for the bunkers and now it's bring it on bring it on what can man do to me what can he do to me he can blow me to smithereens so what let's pray Father thank you again For your goodness and love and mercy and all your blessings and your tests. And Father, we just pray that as we face our emotions this week, because we know we're going to have them. Father, we pray for some pleasant ones. We pray for (laughs) no unpleasant ones. But Father, whatever comes along, we ask that we would view it through the lens of, will this be constructive or destructive? And I pray that the Holy Spirit would be with us. And if they head down the path of destructive... I pray that he would make it very clear to us, and I pray we'd have the courage and the gumption to make the changes we need so we can do all things to honor you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.